That is a picture of reconciliation. You'll see that for a few weeks. We are starting our September series and our fall series and our season series. So the September series will all be called Caring Encounters, Striving for Reconciliation. We'll be talking about reconciliation. And um, what we're doing is we're, we're sort of slowing this down. No offense, but I'm slowing it down to your speed. Um, not because I talk so fast, I know that already, thank you for pointing that out, but because when we meet as small groups, you need time to not only just have an idea and think about it, you need time to let it sink in and make it part of who you are. And as I understand it, most of our small groups don't meet every week, so if I keep moving from topic to topic to topic, and you meet about once every three weeks, you're gonna miss half the topics. So, we're gonna do the same topic for three weeks. You do have to come to all of them, you can't just pick one, but we are going to do the same topic for three weeks to allow it to soak in. So, September series is on reconciliation, this fall series is gonna be on caring encounters, and when I say season series, I'm pretty sure by the time we get to the new year, we will be having um, some sort of um, action for your groups to do where you're actually going to practice some of what we're talking about here. My uh, passion in ministry is not that you agree with what I say, it's that you um, enact what the Bible teaches us to do. And since we are talking about something that is very much an activity, encountering others and then um, having reconciliation relationships with them, reconciled relationships with them, we are hopefully going to find a way to, uh, to enact that in the new year. Okay, so hang on. This will be our theme for, I got about 10 years to retirement. We'll be doing this for about 10 years, all right? They'll all be different sermons, though, or you won't be able to tell one of those two. And I had the word caring encounters up there, and so I, I need to give credit. Um, normally, I give credit to Bema because I listen to a lot of their podcasts, but now I need to give credit to Dr. Morgan Braganza of Redeemer University. She's an associate professor of social work there, and caring encounters was her doctoral thesis. Um, she presented it. I heard that, had a conversation with her, and we've been having a bit of an ongoing conversation because she's an expert in how this is supposed to work, and I'm not, so we're going to figure that out together. All right, so that by way of the broad introduction. And then I'm trying to summarize what it is that I want to talk about for the next 10 years in a very short way, because when people ask me, then I usually get this long paragraph, and I see their eyes glaze over, and I'm thinking, that's not going to work. You need something a little more pithy. This is as short as I can get it right now. Real conversations and holding on. Right? Real conversations is, I want us to learn to be able to not just say, hey, I'm fine, but to talk about how, what's actually going on for us. And I want us to be able to, instead of saying, we're not going to talk about religion and politics because that makes us argue, to actually talk about religions, politics, and whatever else you need to, and yet hold on to each other and walk away as loving brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the goal. And now you know why we're going to do it for 10 years. It'll take us a while to get a handle on that and to make that the way we breathe, right? This is a, I get it, it's a big challenge, and it'll take us some time to get there. This is also a small group project because I'm not going to have all those conversations with each of you. Fair enough, right? We need you to be part of a group. That's what church is. It's being part of a group where you have enough of a connection with people that you can actually have these conversations. And I'll be the nice guy who says, hey, have this difficult conversation with your group. And then you get to do that with each other. And those of you watching online, this is a beautiful day and era where you can watch church online on Sundays. It also means you can be on an online small group or in a small group wherever you are. So 
I'm holding you accountable even though I can't see you. Um, you need to be in a small group somewhere as well, okay? Thank you for doing that. Just nod your heads if you're online. Thank you, awesome, appreciate your participation. Like, you gotta sit in the service all the time. He's the only guy who laughs at my jokes. There you go. <laughs> all right, so into the passage. Sorry, I'm starting a little earlier than we read because Paul starts with the fact that he's in all these kind of messy relationships, right? If you read all the letters of Paul, um, he basically did this. He would swoop into a place and kind of start a church and get it set up and then have to leave again and do something else. And then some of the people did exactly what he said and other people did different things. And, and there's all kinds of messiness in his connection with people. It's called ministry. There's people, you have relationships, they're messy, right? We've talked about that before. And so I'm starting with some of his conversation about that. And first this, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. That's his mission. He says this, what we are is plain to God, right? And I just think that's so important to hang on to. God actually already knows what you're like and who you are, right? It's pretty plain to God who you are because he knows you. He knows everyone. And then he says, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. In other words, I hope I can also just be who I am with you. I don't know about you, but I've been working on this, and I plan to work on it the rest of my life. I want to just be able to tell people, this is who I am, this is what I think, this is what I feel, and have them go, well, that's interesting, and I still like you, right? Paul's working on that kind of a thing, not hiding who he is. And if you read Paul, he does not hide who he is. He's pretty blunt about who he is, right? But he's hoping, and our collective hope, I trust, is that people would look at us in that same um, sort of way. And then the appropriate pride project. So Paul's in all these messy relationships, and, and he says some stuff that I think probably makes some of us uncomfortable. We might not say it, but try this line on. We're not trying to command ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Let me translate that. I don't want to have to tell you how great my sermon is. I'm just giving you an opportunity to tell me how great my sermon is. That's what he's saying there. Right? We don't do that kind of a thing. It's a little bit over the line, it seems, but Paul is dealing with because he says at the end about what's on the inside, what he's dealing with is he knows that he has on the inside this stuff in Jesus Christ, which is life transforming, right? In every one of his letters, what he's trying to do is, I want you to know this amazing life transforming message that I have in Jesus Christ, right? And as he's thinking about that, it seems to me he's saying, and I can't imagine why you wouldn't be proud of me for receiving this and having the opportunity to tell you, because that is such an amazing opportunity, but he knows he's not supposed to do that, and so he says, I'm just giving you, I'm just doing this, and I hope you see it, right? And I think about this in terms of my role. Um, for example, when we teach um, from the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, go in your prayer closet. Don't do it in public where you can be seen, Tony. Right? You saw him up here praying in public, letting everyone see him. The Bible says you're not supposed to. No, it's not saying that. It's saying, if Tony's up here going, hey, look at me. But he did give us an opportunity to be proud of the fact that he was leading us in prayer. Right? When we invite our children to come forward and help us, we have an opportunity then to celebrate the fact that they are doing what God has called them to do. Right? So being seen is inevitable. Making it all about being seen 
that's where that line is. And then you start to see some of this stuff. It's going to take us 10 years to get the nuances straight because we need ongoing, real conversations with each other where we can ask the question, was that over the line? Am I asking for too much there or am I, am I in that right zone? What's going on here as we do this? That's Paul's project. For God and for you, Paul says, if we're out of our mind, and that's in quotes, which means people are telling him he's out of his mind, as some say, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. And what he wants you to get from that is whatever he's doing, it's about God's plan and you receiving it. And that's his focus, that's his emphasis. And likewise, I trust this series has that same goal and intention. All right. And this line. For, light, for Christ's love compels us. And I want to emphasize again, and keep emphasizing, it's all about love. Right? We usually, in our world, we do this love-truth balancing thing. Speak the truth in love, yes. But if you're not loving, you're not speaking truth. Read the letters of John. They emphasize that over and over and over again. If it's not loving, it's not true. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love passage, popular for weddings. If I speak in all truths and have all prophecy and speak in tongues and, and do all kinds of miraculous things, but have not love, am I still true? No, I am nothing. It's about love. Love is the single word along with Jesus that summarizes the Bible, and love is the focus of what we are trying to accomplish in this world. And handily, by the way, love is the easiest message to share with the world, right? When you try and share theological truths and experiences and all the different ways we see things and so on, people get a little bit confused. But if you love them, they get it. This is the one way we can simplify the journey of what we're trying to accomplish here. It's all about love, because Christ's love compels us. It's all about love because Christ loved us first. And then this, hard but worth it. Simple but not easy, remember that line? This is a different version of that. Hard but worth it. So this to me is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the story of Jesus Christ in a nutshell, Paul summarizing. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. You've all died. That's what he's saying there. Hang on to that thought. Let me actually expand on that for a second. I, I have a friend who much earlier in life faced um, cancer and wasn't expected to beat it, but did beat it. And this man in his life lives in that wonderful, blessed experience of every day is just a bit more of a gift to him than it seems to be to me, right? He understands that he's already died, and now he's on that gift of what he has received in receiving life. That's a little piece of what's going on here. In verse 15, and he, Christ, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me try and summarize that in a different way. The pattern of Christianity, the pattern for those of us who want to follow Christ is dying and rising again. In Christ, all of us have already died, the big question here is, have you joined into, have you received, are you enjoying the new life that comes with being in Christ, right? Because Christ did his deed. He paid for sin. 
He conquered all that stuff. It's gone. And he says, now know that, enjoy that, and live into that, and live the life that I've given you. And I've done this a few times, so I'll continue to do it. There are ways we can experience this death and resurrection. The number one way for Christians is all about reconciliation. It's called confession and forgiveness. I did it, I'm sorry. You're forgiven, I love you. Right? That basic restoration of relationship. Right? Christ calls us into that. He calls us to do that with respect to him. He calls us to do that with respect to other. He calls us to regularly live out this basic pattern of dying to ourselves, putting off what is broken and old, and recognizing that he's got that covered. We all died with him, but in Christ we have the opportunity for new life. In other words, there's always hope that we get this better and more fully and more truly, right? We're always moving forward in Christ in hope. So that basic pattern then affects how we see, see others. Paul writes, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul, if you don't know that, used to be a persecutor of Christians. He was a Pharisee who hated anything that didn't fit with his understanding of the Jewish Old Testament, right, or the Jewish Bible, the Torah. And so he was trying to wipe out Christianity. After his conversion, he realized, oh, I thought Jesus was just a person, but he's the son of God. He's a game changer. He's God come into this world who's restored and rechanged everything that's going on. And then since all of us died in Christ, as he said in the last verse, now he says, now when I see anybody, hang on to this thought because it's very important for our reconciliation project. Now when I see anybody, not after I've asked them their religious status, their um, political status, their opinions about any other polls, everyone I see, I regard from a spiritual point of view. Because whoever you see in this world, Christ died for them. Their sins have been covered for. Your question is, how do I join in with them what Christ has done for them already? How do I invite them into the conversation that allows them to experience that more fully? Not how can I get them to think the right truths, but how can I help them see first the very foundational truth that God loves them and in Christ forgave them? That's our reconciliation project. Everyone you see, look at them from a spiritual point of view. And then this line, and I asked the question, when is this? What's the tense on this? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is right now here. So turn to your neighbor and say, hi, you're a new creation. I'm not kidding. Turn to your neighbor and say, hi, you're a new creation. And when you wake up in the morning, if you do any sort of devotional thing and you have some sort of meditative line that you use regularly, and I'm recommending this, so if you wake up, do your devotions first thing in the morning, have some sort of phrase in your mind that you need to get into your soul. Really good one is, I'm a new creation in Christ. I am now already a new creation in Christ. And I want to emphasize that because a lot of times, though Christ has already died for us and has already forgiven sins, and we're here because we believe that, at least for the most part, I'm assuming, we live as if we're still stuck in sin and there's not much hope for us, right? 
I seldom hear people tell me about things they're doing really well without putting on the tagline, yeah, but I'm not perfect. And I was thinking to myself, I don't remember accusing you of being perfect. I didn't even know perfect was the issue. The issue is, are you following Christ? Do you trust and know that you are on this journey and that Christ has already gone before you and he's accomplished it on the cross and all you need to do is step in and be on that journey with him? Because those lines that we use, correct me if I'm wrong on this, correct me later if I'm wrong on this, those lines that we use make it seem like Christ really didn't accomplish that much and we're not really sure we're a new creation yet. And so we're just going to sit on our hands until we're sure everything is in place and then we'll take the next step. This is telling you, this is why Paul is so excited and he wants you to be proud of him, is because he's saying, you are right now already in Christ, a new creation. It's actually finished. All you need to do is continue to step into it. Right? And that's the hard part, right? Because you know what I've been talking about. I'm talking about is, sorry, this is why people don't sit in the front row. No, I'll be nice. I'm talking about being able to come to someone like Donna and say, Donna, um, I said something to you before and it was mean and I'm sorry and I want you to forgive me. I didn't really do that to her, but... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And that was easy because I didn't do that to Donna. We all know that the simple message of Scripture is confession and forgiveness restores relationships. And so that's why we're going to take three months to sit in this thought and think about it and let it penetrate our souls before I start saying, now start taking action. You can jump the gun if you want to. You can forgive people and confess whenever you want to. But it'll take us a while to change our natural instinctual culture, it seems, to put on the new creation that we have guaranteed in Christ, where we're so comfortable being ourselves that we say, yeah, again, I messed it up, sorry about that, receive forgiveness and move on, right? We don't seem to have the confidence that that would actually work. And I'm actually convinced with Paul that if we did that, it would totally transform the world and that this little plan is actually quite simple to do. It's about as difficult as that interaction. The challenge, of course, is your heart, because that's what Jesus really needs to change. Your heart needs to trust and to step out and experience it, right? Um, I did a wedding yesterday, and the, the groom, his wedding day was announced by his brother, the best man, as his six-and-a-half-year sobriety. And then the people there, led by the brother and other people, stood up. And then they clapped. And they gave him a standing ovation, and they were yelling out words of encouragement and love, right? And I have to admit that when I did the wedding message, I knew his story. We'd had that conversation in my office. But I wasn't sure, I'm embarrassed to say, whether or not, while preaching at this man's wedding, I was allowed to mention the fact that he was on a journey of sobriety. That's on me, not on him. He was totally fine with it, obviously. His family gave him a standing ovation, right? He was as plain as you can be to me and to anybody who would meet him because he knew his salvation had nothing to do with whether or not he had been drinking before. His salvation had to do with the fact that in Christ all have died, and so he has died, and all he needs to do is enter into that new life, and thank God he is living that new life. That's the journey we're all called to go on um, 
as followers of Jesus. It's here. It's here. From God, through Christ, to, to each other. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Right? That's that crazy miracle that we can probably never fully get our mind around. God came down in Jesus and lived around with us. That's how much he wanted to see this reconciliation happen. And he showed us all kinds of amazing ways that you can enter in, especially with his death on the cross. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? Jesus did all that, but then he gave us this commission, go therefore and make disciples, go therefore and work on reconciliation, go there on, and make believers of all people. Whatever line you want to use, he gave us this task and this role. And this is the definition of our role. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. There it is again. I underline it because it sometimes seems to me like we are, have a hard time hearing that for ourselves. How many of us walk around thinking about things that we did two days ago, three months ago, five years ago, 40 years ago, if you have that many years behind you, right? God does not hold these things against you. We sometimes hold them against each other. We sometimes do the judgmental thing and we leave that stuff on people. Sometimes people whisper to me when I meet somebody, yeah, did you know that they had this going on? I'm going, why are you telling me that? This person, when I look at them with the eyes that Paul looks at people, which is the eyes of faith and spirituality, is a child of God with all kinds of hope potential for all kinds of amazing things. That's who they are because God does not count people's sins against them. So the minute you do something wrong, and in my case, it's usually on my way home from the church service, I get mad at somebody else on the road. That's how long it usually takes me. So the minute that happens, what am I supposed to do? Oh, I am so lousy. I still, I heard and said all those things. I'm still messing up. No. In Christ, I'm a new creation. Sorry, Jesus, that wasn't right. Thank you for reminding me. It's done. Move on. Let's not wallow in our sins as if God is still counting them against us because he's not. Okay? Thank you. And then take it on the road. Because you know, once you've experienced this, once you've done the reconciliation conversation with somebody, you really want to tell other people. You want to become an ambassador, right? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us yeah, he says as though God, God is making his appeal through us. We're who he uses, right? Every time we have a reconciliation experience or talk about that experience with somebody else, God's going, hey, look at that. And someone else is going, that's appealing. I think I might like to be part of that. And so he just simply puts it this way. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, right? That's our message. Not become a church member. That might be a deal that's part of it. But be reconciled to God. Allow yourself to understand that God has forgiven you and that restoration is possible and you just need to step into this and walk forward with it. And then this, Ruthann already referred to this. This is the good news. This is the thing we're going to let sit in our heads and hopefully stuck in our hearts for the rest of the week, rest of our lives. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. This is the Old Testament scapegoat understanding. Right? In the Old Testament, the priest would lay his hands on a goat, and that goat would thereby be transferred all the sins of the people, and they would send it off into the desert, and it would be 
gone, right? That, sin, that goat didn't do the sinning. People's sins were put on him. But he did that. He took away all that stuff so that in him we might become pretty good people, church members. No, the righteousness of God. This is going to be a little harder. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the righteousness of God, please. You are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God? You rotten lot? Yes. Yes. Because in Christ, you are already a new creation. And that new creation, it's probably got a few more blooms and leaves and branches to grow, but you are already that new creation. You are already the righteousness of God. Know that so that the minute something gets messy along the way, you go, wait a minute, I'm a new creation. Wait a minute, I'm the righteousness of God. This is not my identity. I can move through this, do the simple reconciliation conversation. I did it, I'm sorry, you're forgiven, I love you, and move on. So I'm going to preach this exact same sermon next week. Do come back. Because I don't think the concepts are hard, right? And it feels to me like I'm following the text. But there's, there's something else. Something spiritual, probably, that we need to work through to allow ourselves to step into what God has all along been calling us to do and to be. So let's think about it. Let's talk about that in small groups. Talk about it meet with me if you want to. Let's sit in this and get a hold of it. And then whenever you're ready, of course, start practicing it. And by January, I'll push you into practicing it. You're welcome. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you came into this world to walk around with us and to show us ways of being reconciled and understanding um, this world and your truth in it. And now we pray that as we understand and receive that we are new creations, that we are your righteousness, that we celebrate that by grabbing hold, using the tools you've given us, and loving each other as fully as possible in response to you. Lord Jesus, we're terrified to do this even though we know it's the obvious best thing we could do. And for that, we need your Holy Spirit to come and touch us and prompt us and move us forward as only you can. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.